Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today, we are talking about positioning Mexico's cannabis industry for success. We are joined by president of Mexico's National Cannabis Industry Association, Memo Nieto. Memo, thank you for being here with us today. Hi, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. Oh, it's a pleasure for us as well. And we are also joined by Hoban Law Group International Attorney, Luis Armanderas. Luis, thank you for being here with us as well. Not a problem. I'm excited. Uh, thank you very much. And thank you, Memo, for uh, allocating some time to be with us. Well, it's wonderful to have everybody here connected, uh, of course, during a time when uh, everything is very digital, very virtual, and it's just great to speak with both of you and get an update uh, on what is going on with cannabis down in Mexico. And before we jump into really uh, what the current events are and current considerations, Memo, could you tell us a little bit about your background and the work that you're doing with the, uh, the National Cannabis Industry Association? Yes, like you said, I'm the president of the Mexican Cannabis Industry Association. And what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to educate the people in Mexico, especially policymakers, on what's going on around the world and what could be the best way to implement private po uh, public policies in Mexico so we could have a better cannabis industry. Uh, as you know, uh, Mexico, it, uh, we have a, a, around 100 and, uh, 130 million people. When we legalize, we'll be the country that has uh, more people uh, with access to the plant. So for that to be really true, we have to take a lot of uh, things that are uh, in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in the people from Mexico mind of cannabis it's supposed to be. We're basically... Uh, in Mexico, we have this history with cannabis in the illegal market, with a lot of uh, blood and a, a lot of insecurity, a lot of a, a lot of stuff that that ain't really in the cannabis industry. When you think about it in a legal way, and especially if you think about it more on an industrial, on a medical side, we're gonna we're gonna see that Mexico it's it's a fertile ground to start growing this plant, to start growing this market. And start, especially start growing investigations on how this product can benefit the people of Mexico. No, that, that's uh, that's fantastic, and and what we've seen over the last say four years uh, across the region, uh, South America in particular, we've seen a lot of models evolve from the governments that focus on export only. Now we're also seeing those models change in based on COVID economic downturn and just based on evolution of public policy that allows for domestic distribution as well. You just said that ultimately Mexico will provide uh, this plant uh, or access to this plant to, you know, nearly 130, if not hundred more than 130 million people in terms of the uh, evolving public policy in Mexico. Tell us a little bit about that. And, and how do you compare what is happening in Mexico to some of the other countries in the region? The first thing we have to understand that we have to look at the plant as, a, as an agro-industry product. 
when we really see this plant as an agronomical uh, product, we're going to see all the benefits that Mexico has as a country uh, to produce this plant. Uh, uh, we are, uh, while from the difference from the United States, our weather, our hand, our, our uh, hand labor, it's going to be really competitive around the world, but it's going to be really competitive first in Mexico, because like you said, we're going to have an internal market of, of more than 130 million people. And not only that, uh, we talked with uh, NAFTA and all, of, all, all this, all this trade, uh, trade that we have with, with countries like the United States and Canada. We're going to see that Mexico is the perfect place to do the growing, the transformation, the, the, the market and the export for these plants. Well, no, that that's that certainly gives us some perspective. And Luis, you and I have talked a lot about you know what makes different countries throughout the region different. How would you take that a step further and say, you know, why invest in Mexico? Why locate your business in Mexico? Why pursue licensure in Mexico? Uh, how would you expand on that? Because that's a really really important baseline when you look at Mexico and its its enormous agronomic impact and possibilities in this regard? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I would start by, by uh, Memo's point, uh, reinforcing it, uh, the potential that we have uh, in terms of domestic market, 130 million people plus uh, here, uh, that the percentages of acceptance and use of the different uh, uh, of the different purposes of the plant. Uh, they all, even recreational, which is maybe the smaller number compared to medical or industrial use, uh, it really poses an attractive uh, opportunity for foreign investors to consider uh, here. Um, in second place, I would also mention that uh, the geographical uh, position that we have in North America, right next to the border with the U.S., uh, we have interesting things happening or already happened, and, and you might correct me if I'm wrong, but Texas is moving forward, and we have a big border with them. Um, uh, maybe, not sure about New Mexico, but Arizona and California, you know, everybody knows. And I think that really represents uh, uh, an opportunity in terms of geoeconomics. Um, uh, also, in third place, uh, I guess just the, 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 the culture and how the plant is tied and linked to the history of the country in terms of, you know, culture, uh, you know, those stories about even, you know, why, how the word marijuana came out and, and, and the connection with, you know, Mexican revolutionary times and a lot of stories on that front and, uh, and, and just the, how, you know, uh, uh, paraphrasing what Memo said, it's fertile ground, uh, both literally and, and figuratively speaking. Uh, you have all this potential in our uh, in our country and the history of cultivation and agro, not you know, uh, agricultural communities, agro-industrial groups, really strong and, and big, uh, uh, major players in, in other agro-industries uh, in, in, at an international level. So all these resources and and um, and, and uh, I guess uh, how, how you know the, the rich culture of, of and potential I think it just makes it a, a really attractive place. 
And I would like to say, I would like to summar, summarize everything on what I like to call Mexico has the three W's, water, weather, and workers. And with that, we're going to be more efficient than any country like the United States or Canada. Because, you were, Luis, you were talking about Texas. Texas is not going to be able to produce anything on the summer. And we know Colorado is not able to produce anything in the winter. So in Mexico, we're going to have, we're, we're going to be able to have, a, uh, in one year, we're going to be able to plant three to four times. So that's going to make us really, really more uh, uh, economic effective than any other part of the world. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. So a lot has changed, Luis, since we were in Mexico City together back in February. Not only the pandemic, but certainly the the uh, the route of of Mexico's uh, forthcoming legislation. Um, and when we look at the cannabis industry, the quote unquote cannabis industry, of course, has a hemp side and a marijuana side, and there's a lot of other items attached to it. Memo. When this legislation moves forward, and I know it needs to be implemented and regulations will need to flow from the basic legislation, so forth and so on, where do you see the most activity that will likely happen first in Mexico's new cannabis economy? I think it's going to be more on the medical side and on the industrial side. Let me give you these these numbers. In Mexico, we are 7 million users of marijuana. Every day in Mexico, 40 million people take a pill or, or a topic for pain from knees, back, uh, toothaches, or whatever. And uh, each Mexican consumes about 200 bottles of plastic a year. So if you put that on a scale, we're going to see that the medical side and the industrial side is where we have more of an opportunity. And, and I really like that thought. So the, the, the medicinal side, but also when you talk about, you know, uh, the industrial uses, hemp plastic is something that's really readily achievable when we have the right varieties grown and the right chemical components and the right processing technology. And when you look at the use of plastic bottled or bottled water, purified water in a lot of examples that's used across the region. That seems like just a prime time place to devote the industrial uses of this, of this plant is to present hemp based packaging plastics that would, you know, be utilized in, in water manufacturing and, and bottled water um, that would also biodegrade and be environmentally friendly. So I think you hit the nail on the head and, and, and I'm really excited to see those things come around. Thanks. The, the, the thing that we have to realize right now is that the main problem that humanity has right now is that we are contaminating everything. We're thinking about colonizing Mars where we don't have water, where we don't have the weather, where we don't have anything. Instead of thinking, how are we going to clean the earth? Like, like that old Indian proverb said, uh, the earth wasn't inherited by our, our parents was landed by our kids. So right now, if we really want our kids to have a normal life, we have to include this plan into the everyday products, not only plastic, cardboard, fuel, uh, textiles, everything that the hemp plant has to give us. Extremely well said. 
memo and uh, we've talked a lot about the transition and the need for a transition to a plant-based economy, which I think we, a guest of ours recently on the Hoban Minute said that cannabis is the green buffalo, which we really liked. And I really like the point that you raised around the difference, just latitudinal difference between Colorado and Mexico and what that means as an implication for growing uh, cannabis and specifically industrial hemp that you have uh, multiple production and growing seasons that you are capable of in a year, whereas here in Colorado, we really just have one production season uh, from the spring to the fall. And I want you to talk for a moment just about agriculture in general in Mexico. It is such a big component to the Mexican economy. And what would it mean for farmers to have a new crop that has all of these different end uses? Uh, just talk a little bit about what it would mean uh, to to Mexico Mexican farmers, it, it it would be a life changer, especially to the poorest Mexican uh, growers that live up in the Sierra, up in the mountains. Those those guys uh, can only harvest; they only have one season to harvest uh, corn, and they basically get around two or three hundred dollars to live for a year. If we introduce these plants into them. First of all, they don't need any new machinery. That's really important because there's no investment. Then, like you said, it's like the buffalo. You eat every part of the plant. So that's going to go from having a, a, a farmer that can earn about $200 a year to a farmer that's going to be able to produce around $1,500 to $2,200 a year. That's, that's how we really think we're going to change Mexico. If we change the bottom part of the pyramid, it's how, it's how we're going to be able to change this country. That's what we're focusing on. What we have to do right now, Mexico has to become the, in, the world number one patented producer of medical and, and industrial marijuana patents. That's how we're really going to have not only uh, economical change, but we're also going to have an intellectual change. Those guys, those poor, poor growers that can only uh, live on their corn, now with this uh, improvement in their life, they're going to be able to get a better education, uh, to get uh, better nutrients into their aliment, into their, into their, into their life. Because remember, we have to remember that hemp has one of the highest uh, omega three. Uh, producers uh, from the plant so that's not it, it's gonna it's gonna help them intellectually it's gonna help them nutritionally it's gonna help them uh, economically there's there's a lot of things that are gonna be able to change and if we like I said before if we change the bottom part of the pyramid we're gonna be able to change the country that's what we're pushing for therefore uh, a, leg a legislation as soon as possible because now with this pandemic uh, we need uh, sources of jobs, sources of income, sources of uh, the government needs sources of uh, uh, taxation, and this is the perfect uh, uh, way to do it. We're bringing a new uh, field into into agriculture that we haven't done in a while. Well, there's there's a cautionary tale here as well. When we've seen cannabis legislation enacted in various jurisdictions, particularly in the region. You see that folks saw this as an opportunity to get rich quick. 
But what happened? Luis, you and I have talked a lot about this. They never got rich. They never got rich quick. They never got rich at all. So the understanding that, you know, the, 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 the promise, at least the days of those, uh, those enormous Canadian investment dollars coming in, uh, the, the idea that somehow marijuana is going to, uh, you know, make every cannabis farmer very, very wealthy, or the idea that just selling CBD is going to get, uh, get people rich. There are a number of cautionary tales out there, and it's important that we look at how to um, provide a positive message, but a realistic message to those Mexican farmers and those Mexican business owners that ultimately do this. And it's extremely important that as the Mexican industry uh, begins and evolves, that it is run and controlled by Mexican farmers, by Mexican businessmen, because we've seen uh, North American, you know, whether that's Canada or, or U.S.-based interest, come into to, to, to Mexico or, or in other jurisdictions in South America, uh, Colombia, for example, uh, Ecuador, uh, Uruguay, and come in and just really fail on a massive, massive scale and a massive stage. And that didn't do any good for the locals that were invested in this particular industry. So, Luis, what's your perspective on how do we protect a Mexican farmer and Mexican business folks from this lure of get rich quick because this is the way it's been done in the past when you and I both know that's not exactly true? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's really important to, to, to ask these questions because, uh, I mean, we have to, you know, take a step, a step back. And if we recall uh, that one of the main grounds or the main arguments for legalizing the plant is obviously the, the national security and, and the war against organized crime uh, argument, but also the social justice uh, argument and how uh, you know it's about uh, repairing the harm done to these uh, farming communities that have been affected by prohibition and how is this reflected in the bill that is that was approved last March by the Senate committee is by giving uh, these farming communities a, a uh, some preference in, in different in different uh, way to the licenses that will be granted for cultivation. Uh, on one hand, you have preference uh, on, I think it's 40% of the licenses that will be granted during the first uh, four or five years after the law is enacted. It will, they will be issued to uh, communities that can somehow prove that they were affected by, this, by, by the prohibition. And then um, you have other benefits uh, in terms of uh, being an exception to the rule that bans vertical integration, uh, meaning you will not be able to have more than one license of the, out of the five that will be available. These communities can have more than one. But on the other hand, and this is maybe, uh, uh, this will be a challenge if you have some other provisions or requirements that may uh, represent market entry barriers, such as traceability or testing requirements. Uh, and, you know, how are these communities going to find the resources, the knowledge, the, just the funds to, to, to comply with this, with this measure. So uh, this will be an area where uh, it could be a ground for uh, a strategic partnership between maybe capital, you know, investors and the community. Uh, if, you know, uh, find ways to, to work with them. But hopefully all these, all these, benefits and, and measures that are um, 
that will be issued to their favor, hopefully in the secondary rules and once the law is implemented, they can really uh, seize the benefits and take advantage. So uh, hopefully, you know, this, this will be a, a major change for them, as Memo mentioned. Also, another thing, the key to the game is volume. That's why we have to understand that here in Mexico, it's going to be grown outdoors. And like any other produce or agricultural produce, it's volume. That if you don't have industries that are willing to take a lot of these uh, plants, the prices are going to be always on the floor. If we have industries, like we talked about plastic, cardboard, medicine, to keep the volume on a, on a high scale market, it's how, it, it's how it's going to work. It's like when, when Salinas, California comes out with lettuce, every, uh, the lettuce prices drops everywhere in the world. It's going to be the same. That's why uh, going only into recreational cannabis is not uh, the best way to go for Mexico. No, that makes sense. And uh, the volume component of it, that's, I'm really glad that you highlighted that because it's something we've seen here in the United States in the last couple of years of industrial hemp legalization. And uh, not another cautionary tale, but another thing just to be cognizant of because it's where we've seen the bottleneck occur in the United States is the uh, processing infrastructure. So, yes, you know, you mentioned uh, hemp as a source of grain. It's incredibly nutrient-dense. All of those, uh, the protein profile of hemp seed is dramatically higher than corn. But in order to really foster an industry, you need to have that, that infrastructure for processing the grain, cleaning it, making sure that it's food grade. And I think what makes me very excited is while we've seen that bottleneck occur in the United States for processing, Mexico may be ahead of the curve with that volume in mind and with the fact that so, many manu so much manufacturing and uh, processing infrastructure uh, already exists in Mexico that hemp can then just be introduced and be another facet of this, this, you know, this system of growing crops and processing them and entering them into a commercial market. Well, to your point, Eric, it, it's volume combined with infrastructure that effectively moves this plant, this product towards commoditization, which... Um, which does reduce the price, but it stabilizes the price and stabilizes the industry. And that ultimately is what's in the best interest for the farmers. Exactly. And uh, we, we like uh, uh, the, 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 the agricultural, it's yield per acre. So the better the year, the yield, uh, the more profitable you're going to be. But when you have too much yield, then you have then you have the prices come down. That's why we have to uh, have industry that we can feed them a lot and a lot and a lot to keep the prices up for the growers. That's why that's why I mentioned that we consume two hundred bottles of two hundred bottles of two hundred plastic bottles per Mexican. Imagine how many how much uh, uh, hemp is going to take to fill up those millions and millions and millions and millions of plastic bottles that we produce every year. Or cardboard. No, oh, extremely well said. Extremely well said. And uh, 
Luis and Memo, we thank you so much. Thank you for sharing the three W's with us. That was just that's a, an excellent way to uh, to to educate people and to put it in those terms. It's just brilliant. It's brilliant, and it does sound like one of the next steps in developing the the Mexican cannabis industry is going to be identifying good genetics, good cannabis genetics that will work and produce those high yields and uh, and enter you know be able to service the the fiber applications the food applications, and, of course, the cannabinoid applications. So we're excited to, uh, to see how it all develops, and, and we hope that you will join us again to keep us updated on the progress of all of this. And, Memo, as you evolve and as you progress, uh, we would love to support your organization and do whatever uh, we can do to provide resources and some experience in the background. And we wish you the best of luck, my friend, because it's extremely important that someone like you with the right message and the right uh, level of professionalism drives this forward so that the industry gets off on the right foot. So thank you guys both for joining us again. And uh, until next time, uh, we wish thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hoban Minute. Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.